0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter three. 2 Thessalonians chapter three. Since it is Labor Day weekend, let's talk about work. (laughs) It's amazing how many people think they separate their Christianity from work. But did you know your work is a testimony? Follow along as I read beginning in verse 6. But we command you. Now that is a strong statement. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. And because we do not have authority, and because, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in the epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother." What do you think about work? Do you like your work? Do you like your job? One man got to work one morning and his boss stormed up to him and said, you missed work yesterday, didn't you? He said, not really. (laughs) The culture we live in has some confusion about work. It was incredible when Laura and I were doing some traveling in the last couple of months that we would go into shops or service industries or owners of businesses and even locally at the number of managers or owners that could not get people to work. And then they would say, and we hire people And they work for a couple of days and then they just don't show up anymore. They they don't call. They don't let us know. They don't show up. Well, folks, I want to tell you, that's not the way believers are to be. Now, I'm not saying these were Christians that did that. But there's a lot of confusion in our culture today about work. There are extremes. One extreme are workaholics who work all the time. And that's wrong. And then there are work abhorics. They think they're allergic to work. And they don't work at all. There were those in the church at Thessalonica who misunderstood some prophecy about the coming of Jesus. They misinterpreted to mean that Jesus was going to come very soon. And so they quit their jobs. And they're sitting around waiting for the Lord to return. And not only that, they're not only not working, but they're in everybody else's way, causing all kinds of problems. And Paul wrote them and said, listen, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be working to provide for your family. Now, let me just pause and tell you, I know some of you are retarded, I (laughs) mean, (laughs) tired. One of these days I will be. I know that some of you can't work because of disabilities. So I understand that. We're not talking about that. But I also probably know that those of you who are now retired or those who can't work because of disabilities at one time probably worked pretty hard. You need to understand that work is a big part of our life. Did you know that if you spend 45 years working a 40-hour week, you will have worked 90,000 hours? No wonder you're tired. Now, that doesn't count all the volunteering that you do at various organizations or the chores you do at home, but work is a fact of life. And the way that we view work will have a significant impact on how we live, our own personal performance on the job, and our success in life. What is your attitude about work? A lot of people hate work. And when they do go to work, they don't do anything. One man was applying for a job, and a manager was looking over his, his application. And he said, well, I'm sorry, I can't hire you. There isn't enough work to keep you busy. And he said, you would be amazed at how little work it takes to keep me busy. <laughs> a lot of people think that they're supposed to separate their Christianity from their job But 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or Colossians 3.17, In whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Now when Paul wrote this in the first century, a lot of people thought work was a curse. Even some of the Greek philosophers and poets and writers, Homer... Not Homer Simpson. Homer Homer wrote these words. Listen to what he said. The gods, little g, the gods hated men and the way they demonstrated their hatred was to invent work and punish men by making them work. The people in Paul's day thought that hard work was beneath them and that's why there were thousands of slaves to do the heavy lifting. And some Christians see work as a horrible burden. Why do you think TGIF is such a popular phrase today? According to a Gallup poll, it's 10 years old, and I'm sure it hadn't improved. 70% of Americans hate their job. Or they are so disengaged that they just try to make it through the day to get paid. 30% of American workers say they're really into their work. Monday rolls around for them and they're like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Oh bother, another Monday, got to go to work. Pastors are one of the few people that say TGIM, thank God it's Monday. (laughs) Just kidding. Did you know your work matters to God? What I want you to see is that as a believer, your testimony even shows at work. And so, what do we learn from this? How is it a testimony? First of all, it's a testimony of commitment. You see, work, you work with the perspective of purpose. I'm here for a purpose, I'm here for a reason. God gave me this and the seriousness of this exhortation is shown when Paul says I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I don't think that's a suggestion. Those of you who are veterans, you knew what a command was from your commanding or superior officer. Paul's saying, I command you believers to work. Now, the word command means to give orders or to instruct with authority, and it was a military word use of a command from a superior officer. In our day, there are basically two motivations for work. One is compulsion, when you have to do what you've got to do. Now, if we're all honest, we've all had those days, haven't we? When you worked out of compulsion, you had to do it. You didn't really want to do it, but you did it. I was amused at a man whose wife got laryngitis. She couldn't even whisper. So he devised a way to communicate. He told him, he said, honey, anytime the word, the word is yes, tap one time. If the word is no, tap two times. Tap 93 times if you want me to take out the trash. <laughs> That's compulsion. You don't like to do it, but you have to do it. And, and a lot of people just work out of compulsion. But then, there's commitment. When you do what you want to do, and to most people, work is a drudgery. They don't mind going to work. It's that long period until quitting time that irritates them. They don't enjoy it. They don't think about that this is one thing that I can do to honor the Lord. Paul uses a word here. He said in verse 7, follow us. The word imitate is menomai. We get our word mimic. Now, I can remember as a child, if I mimicked somebody, I got in trouble. It was, I had a negative connotation to it. This word has no negative connotation to it. In fact, the idea of this word is that of modeling or becoming like somebody else. It stresses the nature of this behavior is worth following. Paul said, Look, when I came to you to help, I could have asked you to just support me, but I wanted to show an example by working and eating. And he said, follow us. We didn't become a burden to you. It's a spiritual, ethical, or moral emphasis, and it's linked with an obligation to a certain kind of conduct of a person who's a believer, who's a Christian. The word is in the directives of the Bible, And those of us living for the Lord, and Paul is saying, work with commitment. Now, in order to do that, you need to realize a couple of things. First of all, work is not God's retribution. Work is a privilege, not a punishment, Sometimes it feels like punishment, doesn't it? And there are a lot of uninformed Christians who believe, they actually believe that work came as a result of the curse. When Adam and Eve sinned, that God cursed the world and gave us work. The problem with that is, is that the fall happened in chapter 3 of Genesis but in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And when Adam and Eve shinned, God didn't curse work, and he didn't curse Adam and Eve. He cursed the ground that they were working. Now it's got thorns and thistles and weeds. Why do you have weeds in your yard? Because it's cursed. Sometimes mine looks more cursed than others. But the fact is, work is not a curse. It's not God's retribution. Listen to what Solomon wrote. I'm going to read this out of the NIV. In Ecclesiastes 5.18, he said, Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. If you had nothing to do, you'll sit around and think about dying. You're going to sit around and think, what's next? What am I supposed to do with my life? God says work is good. You may be thinking, well, this message isn't for me because I'm not old enough to work. Maybe you're a student still in school. But did you know there's manual labor, there's mental labor. And you need to be a good student learning, preparing yourself to work. And these principles apply to believers. Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach, said the only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary. And I like what Thomas Edison said, we often miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. So work is not God's retribution. The other way to look at it is work is man's responsibility. Work is God's plan for man's provision. Are y'all glad I'm back yet talking about working? The Bible tells us to approach work with commitment. Ecclesiastes 3:13, take pleasure in all your toil. Deuteronomy 12:18, "You shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all your undertakings." Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, Whatever your hands do, verily do it with all your might. You see, a lazy Christian is an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is. It's two words that sort of contradict one I like jumbo shrimp. Humble Texan. <laughs> Microsoft Works. <laughs> anyway, back in 2010, true story. Back in 2010, Nicole Mamo tried to place a help-wanted ad in a government job center in Norfolk, England. Mamo owned an employment agency and her ad said applicants for the $9.35 an hour position of cleaner, this was in 2010, said the applicants for this position, quote, must be very reliable and hardworking, end of quote. The government job center refused to put the ad and the bureaucrat said it was because they could be sued for, quote, discriminating against unreliable people. End of quote. There are a lot of unreliable people. They're like the guy who went to the welfare office and they asked him why he needed financial assistance. He said, I'm having trouble with my eyes. They said, what kind of trouble? He said, I can't see myself going to work. (laughs) There are a lot of people who are like that. Y'all remember Adrian Rogers who said, whenever somebody receives something without working for it, somebody else has to work for it without receiving it. And the worst thing that can happen to a nation is for half the people to get the idea they don't have to work because somebody else will work for them and the other half get the idea that it does no good to work because they they don't get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. You need to understand, you have a responsibility to work. Now, if you're retired, if you're not able to do what you used to do, there's got to be something God wants you to do. It may be a prayer warrior, it may be something else, but God did not put you on this earth to sit, to do something. Our work is also a testimony of cooperation. You see, work involves working with other people, partnership, not preventing them, not prevention. Paul uses another military term. He said, not only are they not working, but they are disorderly. They are undisciplined. And the word means literally they're out of order. It was a military word that said soldiers that were, were marching out of step. He said, not only are they not working, they're preventing other people from working. They're in the way. They're part of the problem. And it's interesting, in verse 11, he uses a play on words when he uses the word busybodies. Now, I'm reading out of a New King James translation, but the word busybodies, and I think the NIV actually captured it correctly, but it's a play on words that says they are busy being busybodies. And the word busybodies means uh, it's a word that talks about being a hindrance, being a gossiper, being being in the way. Busy, being busybodies. Don't interfere with the rest of people who are working. It's bad enough that they're lazy. Do you know any lazy people? They're capable. I read about the world's laziest man. He found a bottle, he rubbed it, and a genie came out and said, I'm going to grant you three wishes. He said, I want a horse, a sumo wrestler, and a squirrel. (laughs) And the genie, poof, they all appeared. And the genie said... Well, I, I've got to ask you, what's all this for? And the man, he, you know, he said, I, I don't want to walk anywhere, so I want a horse to ride. sumo wrestler can put me on that horse so I don't have to climb up on it. He said, what's the squirrel for? He said, well, I need somebody to go to get it going. That's pretty lazy, isn't it? You'll remember that. You won't remember anything else I say today. It's funny, some of the sayings about lazy people they, he always does an honest day's work, but it usually takes him a week to do it. He's so lazy, if he woke up with nothing to do, he'd go to bed with it only half done. Do y'all remember Phyllis Diller? Okay, my, my age doesn't. Some of you young folks need to look her up. She looks like she stuck her finger in an electric socket. Her hair's all wild. She's a wild woman, but she said, I should have suspected my husband was lazy on our wedding day. His mother told me, I'm not losing a son. I'm gaining a couch. <laughs> you laugh at lazy people, but you know what? Lazy people, lazy Christians are a contradiction. And they were freeloading into the Thessalonica. And the implication is they were depending on the church to support them. I believe in my heart the church was helping people who really needed help. But for those who just were too lazy to go to work, Paul again says, and I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if the apostle says that twice, it's a pretty serious exhortation and the word commands a military officer giving orders to his troop laziness is contagious that's why Paul said don't hang out with these people now that seems kind of harsh doesn't it why would you not hang out with them because it's contagious I call it the gravity of depravity you have a friend who says he's going to start working out with you. So you go over to his house. You're going to go walking or running or jogging or something. And you're going to go work out and you're going to make them go. And you go over there and they're sitting on the couch eating Cheetos and drinking a Coke. And they say, hey man, come sit down here with me for a minute and we'll go in a minute. And the next thing you know, your lips are orange and you're drinking Coke. (laughs) Now that's a pretty silly Example, But the fact is, we have a tendency to do that. Paul was pretty blunt. He said, listen, as a Christian, you settle down, go to work, earn your bread, because if you don't work, you don't eat. And starvation can be a great motivator to work. But it's also a testimony of consistency. Now listen carefully. Work is about perseverance. It's not about passion i can't tell you how many times i've heard people say well i'm i'm not going to do that anymore it's just not my passion and then they go to another job. Well, I like this for a while, but it's just not my passion. I understand not liking something. I understand trying to find a job that you enjoy. I also understand changing jobs to better your situation. But to simply say, well, you know, I just, I just hadn't found anything that has caught my passion. Listen, there's a certain thing called commitment and perseverance. And that's why Paul said in verse 13, But as you, my brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Huh. The word means to become tired, to become weary, and then to lose heart and to despair. Often the result is one of the other. In struggling with a matter, you become weary Then you sort of begin to lose heart. Everyone in here whose work has gotten weary doing what they're doing. But Paul said, don't don't grow weary. Persevere doing good. In other words, something of high quality. Don't get tired of doing your best. Work is sacred in the sense that it's done to the Lord. Whether you're washing dishes or scrubbing floors or taking care of children at home or maintaining the house or whether you're in the financial marketplace, doing accounting and bookkeeping for a company or whether you're delivering mail or teaching school or driving a truck or whether you're operating a business or whether you're in the working sales or what, some kind of expert who acts as a consultant, developing strategy for marketing, whatever you do, do it as a service rendered. To the Lord. God has gifted you. He's granted you a talent. He's given you the power to work, to get wealth, or to sustain your family. He's allowed you the opportunity to provide for you by working. But it's do your job or if you're in school, go to school and think of it as a ministry. You're a contributor to society. You're not a leech on society. You contribute. The word, what you need in order to do that is enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm comes from the word en theos, in God. And the more you are in God and that God is in you, the more enthusiasm you're going to have. And when you go to work and do your job or your schoolwork, do it with the idea of approving of the approval of Jesus. In Jesus' day, the Jews were under the domination of the Roman Empire. And it was the legal A Roman soldier had the legal authority to command any Jewish person to carry their pack or their supplies or whatever they had for a mile. And any time a Roman soldier asked or didn't ask or told one of those Jews, you're going to carry my stuff for the next mile. Well, they bitterly counted every step until they got to a mile and threw it down and said, there, I've done what you required me to do. Don't ask me. Just leave me alone. And then Jesus comes along and he says in Matthew 5.41, if someone forces you to go a mile, Go a second mile. Now, do you think a Roman soldier would remember a person who would say, well, I'll do it one more mile for you because I want to. Let me ask you something. Are you a single mile worker? <laughs> Are you a single mile student? Do you just do the bare minimum. If you're doing it with the approval of the Lord, you're thinking, I want to do my very best. I want to do all that I know to do. People remember second mile workers. 1920. I don't think there's anybody in here who was around at that time. There was a pharmacist who bought a Corner drugstore in Chicago. And soon he was bored with his job and he began to dream how he could make it more exciting and it was during that time when people were just beginning to call in their orders with a telephone. Now you got to remember the telephone then was probably that wooden box on the wall that you had to turn. I don't remember though. Some of you might, but I don't. Well, when someone called in he decided to see how quickly he could deliver a telephone order. And so when he was speaking to the person and writing it down, he would call it out loud. He would call the, name, the, the person's name and the address out loud, and immediately an assistant would begin filling the order. And while he was talking on the phone, they would fill the order. Someone else would start the delivery, and he would try to keep them on the phone long enough that the delivery was made before they even got off the phone. And it was successful, and so successful, and of course the people lived in close proximity to the uh, pharmacy. It was so successful that it became the busiest pharmacy in Chicago. And within a few years, he bought a few more stores, and the next thing you know, he had a chain of stores, and you've been in one of those stores. His name was Charles Walgreen. Today, there are thousands of Walgreens because a man decided to go the second mile. Now, that's not all the story. He did this because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he was a member of the First Methodist Church in downtown Chicago. And when the First Methodist built a new building in 1924, the spire next to the building was the tallest um, building structure in Chicago. Four to five hundred feet high. Just at the bottom of the steeple, they built a chapel. You had to ride an elevator, and then you had to climb another 173 stairs to get to the chapel. And and they would seat about 30. They called it the Sky Chapel. Inside that chapel was a wood carving of Jesus looking over the city of, of Chicago. What it looked like at that time. But you know who gave the money for that chapel? The Walgreen family. The best way to show excellence in your work is to imagine Jesus as your boss. John Stott was a British pastor and an author, and he wrote, The, the way to serve the Lord in your job is to always imagine that you're working for Jesus instead of your boss. It's possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it or to clean the house as if Jesus Christ were going to be the honored guest. It's possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients, for nurses to care for patients, for lawyers to have clients, for shop assistants to have customers, for accountants to audit books and secretaries to type letters as if in every case they were serving Jesus Christ. Now, what would the difference be if Tuesday, you're not going tomorrow, most of you aren't, but Tuesday, you got up and said, you know what, today, Lord, just today, I'm going to work for you. Now, you may have to do that every morning, but I challenge you because there have been times in my life and in our ministry where I had to get up and say, Lord, just today, just today, not here at Southcrest, but previous place, I'd say, Lord, just today. I'm going to serve you. And if you go to school, that attitude, and you go to work with that attitude, it's going to change your attitude. You might have a little enthusiasm in God. And those of you who are retired and, and looking for something to do, and you're still able, we've got a lot of things to do around here. We need volunteers in different ways, in different places, and... Now, in fact, I, read, I want to read this to you. It said, I've been a dead weight many years around the church's neck. I've let others carry me and always pay the check. I've had my name upon the rolls for years and years gone by. I've criticized and grumbled too. Nothing could satisfy. It. I've been a dead weight long enough upon the church's back. Beginning now, I'm going to take a wholly different track I'm going to pray and pay and work and carry loads instead and not have others carry me like people do the dead. We have a lot of dead weight. We need some help. We need help in all the areas of a a growing church, a growing congregation. Don't think everybody else will do it. I know you can't do everything, and some of you can't do what you could do at one time. Don't even feel guilty about that. But ask the Lord, what can I do, Lord? Because I don't want to sit around twiddling my thumbs till I die. And Solomon even said that. When you've got purpose and you've got something to do, you're not sitting around waiting to die. You're finding something that you can do for the Lord. And the only way you can do that is if you know the Lord. Religious people don't do this. Only people whose hearts have been changed, and only Jesus Christ can change your heart. Church can't change your heart. Denominations, religions don't change your heart. Jesus Christ changes your heart and life. Can I get a witness on the fact that he changes everything? He does. He changes your heart. He changes your attitude. And he can even make you like your boss. but you need to know him and if you don't know him you can know him today <laughs> you turn from your sin ask God to forgive you and place your trust in Jesus Christ alone you don't put it in the church you don't put it in a person you put it in Jesus Christ some of you need to know Jesus as your savior it'll change everything some of you need a church a lot of you have joined since I was gone and I'm thrilled please keep coming even the one back Some of you are being baptized. You know, that's the first thing you do. Jesus said, profess me before people. Baptism is that profession. It's showing everybody else. I've committed my life to Jesus. Some of you need to do that. Would you join, join me now? Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can commit your life to him right now. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.